0: Our text that was read earlier came from Matthew, the third chapter, and I'm actually going to read it from the first through to the sixth verses, and it reads as follows. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. A young man named John received a parrot as a gift and the parrot had a bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried and and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words to the bird, even playing soft music and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. Finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. The parrot yelled back. John shook the parrot. The parrot got angrier and even more rude. John now, in desperation, threw up his hands, grabbed the bird and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then suddenly there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he had hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door of the freezer. And the parrot calmly walked out, stepped onto John's outstretched hands, and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions. And I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at this change in the bird's attitude. And as he was about to ask the parrot, what made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the parrot continued, may I ask what the turkey did? If it went over your head (laughs) and in the season of Thanksgiving, I thought that was a funny joke, but it gets to the heart of what I want to talk about in today's message. Today, I'd like to spend some time talking about something that I haven't spoken enough about in many of my sermons. I've talked a lot about salvation, and I've talked about forgiveness of sins. I've talked about loving God and loving neighbor. I've talked about the resurrection. I've talked about the kingdom of God. I've talked about all of these things, but I have not spent enough time, I believe, talking about something called repentance. It is interesting that when we're introduced to the ministry of John the Baptist, he opens with the mandate, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And later on, Jesus himself would proclaim the same mandate, saying, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It therefore seems to me that the issue of repentance is an essential element of what is expected of each of us. So I thought I would devote this second Sunday of the Advent season talking about repentance in the context of preparing for the Lord's coming. And with this in mind, I have titled this sermon quite simply, The Wilderness Cry. Now, I want to make sure you understand the time when John the Baptist came out of the wilderness and started to preach. It had been nearly 400 years, and God had been silent. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And that was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Throughout the Old Testament, from the beginning of Genesis all the way through To Malachi, God has been raising up and using prophets to speak to his people. Well, by the time we get to Malachi, God now had shut the mouths of the prophets. So the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the last book, is where God now had nothing else to say to the people. And for 400 years, God was silent. As a matter of fact, the book of Malachi, it closed with both a promise and a warning here's what malachi the fourth chapter and the fifth to the sixth verse said it said behold i will send you elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the lord this is what malachi wrote god was saying the last things that god was saying he said behold i will send you elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the lord And when he comes, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children back to their fathers. Lest, God says, I come and smite the earth with a curse. This is what Malachi closed out his book saying when God was now silent for 400 years. So the Jews had been guided from then to turn their eyes ahead and to look forward to the day when Messiah would be coming. They were promised, however, in this text, a forerunner, someone who would come before the Messiah would come. And this person, when he came, he would do what? He would turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, and the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And implicit in Malachi's words in the Old Testament was a choice. Unless the hearts of God's people were turned, the Messiah would not bring Israel the expected blessing, but instead they would be looking forward to a curse. So here, let me make sure you understand. Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet, and he gave Israel a warning before he closed the book. For 400 years, God said nothing. But when the book closed with Malachi, Malachi said what? God is going to send somebody who's going to be a forerunner, and this person, when this person comes, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the children back to their fathers, and unless that happens, God himself will smite the earth with a curse. So 400 years have passed. Israel saw nothing. Israel heard nothing. Israel was going through their ups and downs. During this period, Alexander the Great and and, and the Romans, they were all just going crazy over Israel. And by the time we get to this pronouncement in the Bible, we're told that there's a voice crying out in the wilderness. Later on, as we follow the life of Jesus, we find that Jesus would tell the crowds that this guy, John the Baptist, who by this time, had been executed by Herod. Jesus was, would say of this John the Baptist, this same guy, he was the greatest of all the prophets that was. And in fact, he was a messenger who was sent to prepare the way. Jesus further went on to say these words. Hear me carefully. Jesus says, If you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Now, Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. When God closed the book of the Old Testament, when Malachi finished his writing, Malachi, in his writings says there was going to be a forerunner who is Elijah to come. 400 years pass. Nothing was heard. Here comes this voice crying out, Into the wilderness out of nowhere it says now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when Isaiah said the voice of one crying in the wilderness make ready the way of the Lord make his path straight in other words Isaiah was letting us know that there was gonna also be a forerunner just like Malachi told us but then it goes on to say now this John the Baptist himself had a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist. In other words, the Bible is letting us know that he was dressed like Elijah. And then Jesus would come along and Jesus would say, listen, of all the prophets in the world, none greater than John the Baptist. And if you can accept this, he was the Elijah that was to come. So when John screamed out in the the wilderness, behold, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What I'm telling you is John the Baptist was that forerunner that Malachi talked about 400 years earlier. And when God had been silent, God was now starting to speak again. And he came in the form of a prophet named John the Baptist. Now, now, without going too far into the history, I don't want to go so far into the history. But I want you to understand something about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the Bible tells us, at locusts and wild honey. He was poor. He was, he was just a little ragamuffin out in the wilderness by the Jordan. And he was baptizing people as they were coming, telling them, repent, 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 because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what you also need to know was that Herod, the king at the time, he was messing around with his, with his let's just say, without for the sake of the children that's here, he was messing around with somebody he ain't got no business messing around with. And John called him out on it. And when John the Baptist called him out on it, y'all know what happened, he got beheaded. So he had now died, and he came to tell Jesus, and he said, Jesus, John is dead. And this is when Jesus says, you know what? Of all the prophets, there was none greater than John the Baptist. And if you can accept it, he was the Elijah to come. But the prophecy of Malachi gave us a clue that unless the essence of repentance was done, meaning turning the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the children back to each other, then there would be a curse. So John the Baptist came and he urged the people to repent or God would curse the earth. John warned the people from the wilderness. And so for today, what is repentance? And how are we to understand repentance Today, even as it relates to baptism. Why is this guy, John, even dunking people into the Jordan River, screaming out us? What does one have to do with the other? Well, I want to talk a little bit about that today in the time that we have left. The word repent means to change one's mind and attitude, and it's quite frankly a decision which changes the direction of someone else's life. To say that I repent means that you're going this way, and then if you repent, you decide now you're going to go this way. It's literally to change your complete direction. Baptism, on the other hand, is, 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 is now where it's, a, it's from the Greek word bapto, which means to immerse. So when you put them together, repent and be baptized, I try to figure out why would, what, what do those two words have that link them together? So, when you put them together, John the Baptist was really saying, change your direction and give yourself or immerse yourself fully into it. In other words, change direction, but mean it. Said another way, commit yourself fully to changing where you are going. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because many of us, we say, okay, I repent, God but we're still in the same direction, still doing the same things. So when John says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and to be baptized, he's saying, not only change your direction, but don't look back. (coughs) Mean it, and be serious about it. And why we should do this is because the kingdom of God is at hand. Said another way, things are about to change. The late Eugene Peterson, in the Message Bible, version of the Bible, he, res- he, he basically says it this way, change your life because God's kingdom is here. John's words are as profound today as they were back then. It is a warning to all of us sitting in this church and to all people everywhere, change your life. God's kingdom is here. All things as we know it are about to change. Things are not going to be the same anymore. John, after 400 years, comes onto the scene and says to Israel, change your life. Things are not going to be the way they've always been. Repentance and the need for repentance is actually a form of insurance, protection. Now, I'm not sure what you're hearing me say thus far in this message, so let me see if I can make this a little more real to you with an illustration. A a, a volunteer fire department in Arkansas drew a lot of criticism for letting a house burn down. It seems the owner did not pay the $20 annual fee that was required for firefighting service. $20 a year, and your house would be protected by the fire department for a year. Now, because of the firefighters inaction, meaning they didn't do anything, two of the shops that were next to that building were also burnt down. Now, someone who lived behind the building paid the fee while the fire was burning, and his house was spared. The the, the firefighter chief told reporters, once your house is on fire, you cannot join. But if you're a neighbor to someone whose property is on fire, you can join. (laughs) You see where this is going. When a house would burn down, Firefighters would simply stand by to see that the blaze doesn't spread to the house of those who paid their $20 fee. Maybe some of us act in just the same way. The punishment for our poor stewardship is always to lose something. Yet once we start to lose, it is then that we start crying and trying to make up to God. In our marriages, we stay home from church until we see our marriages starting to fall apart. With our children, we start making church a priority when they start rebelling. With our finances, we we start promising to give God once it's gone. With our jobs, all of a sudden, tithing becomes a conviction when we get the pink slip We cause the various fires in our lives and then expect God to put it out. Listen, when the house catches fire, that is not the time to start paying the firefighter's fee. Do you understand what I'm telling you, church? We wait until calamity comes into our lives, and that's when all of a sudden we need God. What God is saying, repent. Pay your firefighter's fee in advance. Turn from your ways so that when calamity comes and calamity will and must come, then you are prepared. Repentance is your insurance fee. John the Baptist says to us, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your life. The God's kingdom is here. Brothers and my sisters, Listen to me clearly. The house is getting ready to burn. Are you prepared? Now, at the heart of the message of repentance is something called idolatry. Now, don't get scared. There's good news. (laughs) At the heart of the message of repentance is a call to changing your minds back to God. But in ancient Israel, the people were called away from worshiping these false idols, and God was saying to them, stop worshiping those false idols and return to me. On the surface, many of us read these texts and scriptures and we say to ourselves, and I know I'm being honest because that's how you all think. He goes, I'm not from ancient Israel. I didn't make any such covenants with God. What does any of this warning have to do with me? I'm not worshiping any foreign idols. Well, let's see. To worship an idol is a biblical way of saying that we have placed our faith and our trust into something other than God. It is to believe that the things we expect in life will come from making allegiances with sources other than God. God finds this offensive because he and he alone is the source of all things. And to ignore that fact is to make yourselves out to be a God. But in repentance one turns away from idolatry sin evil wrongdoing and any other way that is contrary to god's word preferring instead to treat god's word as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path brothers and sisters let me be real blunt repentance repentance is a prerequisite for entering the kingdom of heaven and that's why john And Jesus made it a priority. But repentance is not merely saying publicly, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it, I'm so sorry, in order to save face or to satisfy some kind of a religious mandate. No. It's changing your whole entire mind towards sin and towards how you see God. True repentance is always going to be an individual inward reorientation affecting your thought, your mind, and it expresses itself in acts outwards. In other words, it is hating what you once loved and loving what you once hated, exchanging irresistible sin for an irresistible God, and and literally being sorry enough to stop what you're doing. Now, Pastor, it's a little hard. Well, there's more to come. The fact that John cries out from the wilderness tells us something. It's a direct correlation to the wilderness wanderings of the Hebrews when they were going through the desert for 40 years after Egyptian bondage. For 40 years, they wandered aimlessly through the desert, trying to make their way to the promised land. You all know the story. The wilderness, however, is not to be understood as simply a period of drought And suffering. Very often we tend to think that this disastrous period in our lives is something that we should try to avoid at all costs. To the contrary, we are told in the Gospels that immediately after Jesus was baptized, he was led where? To the wilderness. And he was led to the wilderness where he spent 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry, and he was thirsty, and he was tempted by the devil. I mention this because we all need to realize that while we may not like the pain and the anguish of our various wilderness experiences, we need to understand that your wilderness is a period of testing. The wilderness experience is often what defines our tenacity. And if you have not been through anything, and if you have not overcome anything, then it is likely that you will not be of any use in the war against the kingdom of Satan. God refines us in the wilderness, not to punish us, but really to develop our muscles for the work of the kingdom. Let me tell you something you can always tell when someone has been with God. Not just by the words they say and how much they can quote scripture, but by what they have been through and what they have overcome. If you've been through anything in your life that you have come through, believe me, the devil is going to have to find a different way. Why? Because now you know too much about him. No one can make you doubt him. Jesus is in your heart in a way that listen, people can tell you anything they want to tell you but the truth is you've been somewhere with Jesus and if you've been anywhere with Jesus then you know you know so I want you to understand that we need to repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God is at hand but the wilderness don't run from it face it because God wouldn't bring you to it If he wasn't going to get you through it. So. Having understood that the wilderness is a place of testing. That you got to be. You got to repent and you got to be baptized. What I want you to know. Is that there is something called. The wilderness cry. (laughs) The wilderness cry means. To express. An unpopular opinion. Or an idea. It is to be willing to go against what the culture is saying and to to recognize that the house is indeed on fire. It is to be willing to expose the vast corruption of sin within our nation, within the world, and even within our churches. Listen, I don't know if you've been paying attention to anything around us, but the church is in big trouble. And I'm not talking about the AME church. I'm talking about the church. The church is in big trouble because what we see happening, the church is saying too much about it. And we have become complicit in some of the things that are going on. We have adopted the world's ways. Why? Because we pray for things like prosperity. And we pray for things that says, okay, I want an easy life. Listen, my brothers and sisters, let me be very, very clear. We are all going to hell in gasoline drawers, is what they say. That's the term they use. But you've got to understand that if the church doesn't say something about it, then guess what? What hope is there for anyone else? John the Baptist cried from the wilderness after God was silent for 400 years to say, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God is at hand. The church needs to find that message again and to to be taken back to that place where we first believed. Something is dreadfully wrong with our world and we cannot turn a blind eye and pretend that nothing is wrong. Our governments are corrupt. Our Earth is getting warmer. Nature seems to be a little out of whack. We seem to have lost our identity. We don't know if we're man or woman. we completely, completely discombobulated. And our minds are spiraling more and more towards moral decay. Listen, I ain't anti-nobody. I am just pro-God. Our children are in trouble because we, the church, have consciously decided to relinquish our moral authority and leadership and have bought into the world's way. Listen, my brothers and sisters, let me make this even plain for you. I told you for 400 years, God was silent and the world was doing whatever they wanted to do. But then after that period, he sent John the Baptist with a message. And that message is the same today. God has left the church to cry from the wilderness and to say, stop where you're going. Repent. Change your direction and mean it. Not just simply say it. We demonstrate a form of godliness, but we are anything but godly. I've, I've spoken to enough people when I tell them I'm a pastor of a church, they were quick to tell me, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And I ain't going to church because those people in there, they are the worst. And You, you know what you've heard. And my response to those people all the time is, okay, I, I, I think you're right. The church is full of hypocrites. But, but, but I can tell you there's more in the world that's in the church. So you in the world, ain't you? And it ain't stopping you from doing all the things you're doing. So what's your argument? What's your point? In other words, there is, and I'm telling you, church, let me, let me just digress. There is a spirit in this nation where when you see wrong, you justify wrong by looking at what other people are doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you got a president, I'm going there, who, who every evidence is telling you that he did something he ain't got no business doing. And the argument you hear is, well, this one did this. This one did that. What does that have to do with what you've done? That's the spirit of this world. To try to make bad seem good and good seem bad. To justify. And the church is saying, yeah, that sounds good. That's right. Repent. Church. I remember I was talking to Alan Temple. Repent. Church. Go back to God. Find God. We, we, we pray for material wealth. We pray for prosperity. We pray for comfort. And when we get in trouble, we pray for relief, for trouble to go away. We have it backwards. We are the church of God. We must pray for forgiveness of our own idolatrous nature and repent of the real problem, which is sin in our lives. Jesus died so that we can live, but we must learn to pray for the things that bring life, not to curry favor with politicians. So a man was praying at an altar with his pastor, praying just like I have you guys come and pray. And the man prayed a prayer that the pastor had heard him pray all the time. He says, Lord God, take the cobwebs out of my life. Lord God, if it be your will, take the cobwebs out of my life. And just as he said this, the pastor interrupted him and said, Lord God, kill the spider. Kill the spider. You see, many times we ask the Lord to forgive us from some sin, yet leave the source of the temptation intact in our lives. My brothers and sisters, in the mold of a John the Baptist, I urge you to pray for the strength to turn from the things that betray our idolatrous hearts. You can't pray for what you're already doing, the behavior, but what's driving the behavior. Don't just pray for the cobwebs. Pray to kill the spider. The root. Get to the root. I urge you today to change your direction, to turn from darkness to light, to turn from the power of Satan. I urge you, my brothers and my sisters, today as a church of God, to repent. I urge you to cry out to God have mercy on you. This is what I mean by the wilderness cry. It is a cry of repentance and it is a cry of our very souls. If you place your trust in Jesus today, today, and genuinely repent of your sins, the Bible says you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life to which gives you an assurance of of your place in heaven God is willing to be gracious to you today and to give you the peace that you are looking for but brothers and sisters if you don't have peace in your life chances are you kind of have one foot in repentance and the other one in the world you have to be what fully immersed in your decision to change your direction To actually turn away from the things that are pulling you further and further away from God. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And Jesus warned us, unless you repent, you will perish. So repentance is not about feeling sorry for your sin. And while you can feel sorry for some of the things that you're doing, the real question I have for you, church, today is, are you willing to really change direction, to turn your lives around and turn towards God, to place your faith in Jesus Christ and to surrender your life to him today? If that sounds like you, then you are, in fact, screaming now that wilderness cry. It is you saying, yes, to the Lord. Yes, I have made mistakes. And if you look on the back of your programs, I wrote a quote from D.L. Moody which says, if God's today is too soon for your repentance, then tomorrow may be too late for God's acceptance. So I'm telling you not to scare you, not to worry you, not to make you feel bad. It is to really help you to understand that we've come now to the time in our culture where we need to stop playing church. Stop acting like, you know, God's always going to be there for us, and he will be, but you are also responsible, and you're also accountable. And so today I had to be true to my heart to talk plainly to the church and say, listen, Repent. Repent repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Things as we know it in this country and in this world is about to change. And it's going to change for the worse. And I'm telling you, the house is burning. But don't wait for your house to start burning before you repent and pay your $20 fee. Not to the church. I'm just saying. <laughs> You get my point.